Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. So I have this friend who's a retired journalist, and because she's retired, she has a lot of what I don't, and that's time. Just like the bumper sticker, right? It says, retired, no job, no kids, no money. <laughs> yeah. And the deal is that she has led this really interesting life. Like she and her family fled their home in Hanover, Germany, as bombs were dropping in World War II. Seriously. Ooh, yeah. And, and get this on their bicycles, no less, and whatever they could carry. So they had to flee their home, which they never had, had the chance to return to. And they oh, my God. Bikes. Total yeah. sound of music, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so this friend of mine, she's really interesting. She's had an interesting life. She wrote for a fashion magazine in Berlin. She had her own radio show. Um, and long and short, she has a fascinating um, and curious mind. And so now that she's retired, she does this thing that she calls a clipping service for her friends. Oh, you've got to tell me what that is. I will. She reads a lot of different periodicals and newspapers and forwards the most interesting and timely articles to her friends and often comments on them. It could be a movie review or something political or a story about the Hambach Forest in Germany. That was a recent one. Um, basically, it's her own personal journal club which really saves her friends time um, because she distills a lot of information into a fast read. What a great idea and what a great service. Yeah, well, the fine folks at Green Branch Publishing know that this is a fine service too, and that's why they created the monthly publication Fast Practice. Fast Practice is based on the concept of a journal club. It's a great way for practice managers and physicians to get timely snippets about important issues without having to read stacks of magazines. The expert editors at Green Branch do it all for you. Just like your interesting friend does, Tothi. Yep. Yep. They write an abstract for each article, write commentary on how it fits into a medical practice. That's right. And the fast practice editors pull from both in and outside of healthcare. I think that's really important to mention. So not only are you getting article uh, abstracts from modern healthcare, MGMA Connection, Coding Edge, you also get them from Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Harvard Business Review. Those are just a few examples. So it's going to make you look way smart and up to speed. Yes. But wait, Mike, there's even more because Fast Practice is delivered, of course, as a PDF that you can read, but also as an audio file. That's right, Tothi. So it's just like Journal Club on the go. If you yep. don't have time to read Fast Practice, you can listen to it and get the same great content. Yes, that's correct. So if you've been looking for an easier way to stay up to date on the business issues that impact your practice, both in and out of healthcare, in addition to the Sound Practice podcast, of course, Fast Practice is your ticket. For more information or to subscribe to Fast Practice, visit greenbranch.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Cheryl Toth, also known as Tothy, and here with me in the virtual studio is the one, the only, Michael J. Sakopoulos. Mike, what's up? Tell me something good. Hey, Tothy. All's good here. Um, do doing well. Hello, everyone. Good, good. Well, you know, it seems like every healthcare publication I read these days is talking about our topic today, which is telehealth. 
And, you know, it's legal in all states. It's reimbursed by Medicare and many payers reimburse for it too. And uh, employers are adding it to their benefit plans because employees want it. And in fact, you know, many patients want it, especially patients under 40, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there are plenty of us that uh, are are over 42, Tothi, that, uh, you know, would like it. <laughs> well, I would have to put myself in that category. Yes, us older folk like it as well. And it's convenient for rural patients and people who have a tough time getting around. You know, it's so much easier after surgery. You don't have to hobble into the doctor's office if you can uh, see the surgeon on the screen, right? Um, plus, CMS has those new virtual visit codes this year. So I feel like we're at the verge of some kind of big shift. Like, like there's this perfect storm building around telehealth. What do you think about that? Well, first, I am reeling from your definition of, quote, old folks. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it, it was particularly unkind. But <laughs> nonetheless, I, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on the, uh, the, the, the storm brewing here. Things have definitely exploded over the last few years. Lots of venture capital flowing into new companies. And from legal and regulatory standpoint, we're starting to get, get some clarity in, in standardization. Yeah, and I think another reason we're seeing more adoption is payment, reimbursement. True, right? I mean, except for reimbursement rules that are still all over the map. Uh, so practices do have to do their homework and check for payers in their state. It's kind of like playing 20 questions. Sometimes you have to figure out all the, the different rules with the different payers in your area. Do you, you remember playing that uh, 20 questions game as a kid? <laughs> yes. On every vacation we took in our forest green station wagon in the 70s, we played 20 questions. Please, oh, please tell me that it had the faux wood siding on the, uh, the station wagon. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry to disappoint you, Mike, but no, it did not. It was just green, oh, um, and we named her Olive because it was... It was olive green. I don't even think they make cars in the color of olive green anymore, but <laughs> we can only hope that they don't. Yes, we can only hope that we've moved on from that. All right. So 20 questions, animal, vegetable, mineral. Well, and I usually picked mineral because it was the hardest thing to guess because I'm, I'm very competitive. I wanted to win. <laughs> I, can, I can see that. I mean, you know, basalt is not an easy one to, uh, to come up with in the 20 questions. Exactly. Well, there you have it. Tothi, some great MGMA uh, stat surveys out last year that show 26% of practices now authoring, offering telehealth uh, services, mm -hmm. which is up significantly, right, from the year, year before. Today, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this conversation, and we're going to speak with Lyle Berkowitz, who is Chief Medical Officer and EVP of Product at MD Live. Dr. Berkowitz is also president of MD Live's medical group, one of the largest virtual primary care groups in the nation. Without doubt, he is a telehealth stud. <laughs> yes, he is. And he had some surprising insights and data, things that I hadn't even considered about telehealth. And I think our listeners are going to really love hearing what he has to say. Um, but before we get to Dr. Lyle, it's my turn to tell listeners about the word of the show. All right. Okay. Here I am waiting with bated breath as I'm sure you do for my selections. Yes, of course I do, dude, because you are such a word nerd. You always pick good ones. <laughs> oh, guilty is charged. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's, uh, and, and you know, you're the, you're the same way. Don't, don't just blame it on me. Uh, well, today's word of the show is asseverate. 
This is a pretty rare word, Mike. That's what it said when I looked it up. It's a fancy word that means to assert or declare. Here, listen. I asseverate that telehealth is going to reinvent patient care in ways we don't even know yet. I think if you use this word in mixed company, you will sound quite smart. Ooh, I think you, uh, you absolutely <laughs> would uh, come across as being very intellectual with the word asseverate. Am I pronouncing it right, Tothi? Asseverate? Asseverate. All right. Asseverate. All right. Well, I, I asseverate that you are the smartest person in the room right now. Well, thank you. But considering I'm all alone in my room, that's not really saying much, but I'll take it anyway. Okay, fair enough. It was meant as, a, as an all-out compliment. I assume that the room was packed with individuals <laughs> just waiting to hear the next word um, on telehealth. So let's get started with our telehealth expert, Dr. Lyle. Thanks for carving out time to talk with me today, Dr. Berkowitz. Hey, can I call you Dr. Lyle on this show? What Absolutely. You, you know, I even have my website, drlyle.com. It's, uh, it's my brand. Okay, cool. That's how I know you. So that's how I'm going to call you. Um, so you are an extremely busy person. I'm so glad you could give us a little time today. And frankly, I get tired just reading your bio, but I'm going to give, give, give everyone a broad brush if they don't know who you are um, out there. And that is that you are the Chief Medical Officer and EVP of Product for MD Live. We're going to talk about that, tele, telehealth company, as well as the president of the MD Live Medical Group, which is the largest virtual primary care group, um, or one of them, in the nation. And for much of the past 20 years, um, you've been leading, helping lead IT and innovation at Northwestern Medicine. You're an internist, I know that. And ha you've additionally helped start and manage multiple health IT companies. And you currently sit on the boards of two companies, HealthFinch and OneView Healthcare. So yeah, you're a physician, informaticist, innovator, entrepreneur, chief, what do they say? Chief cook and bottle washer? <laughs> no, you've been a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. So um, why don't you tell me how you, how did you come to telehealth and where you are now with MD Live? Sure. Uh, so there's a lot of synergy in what I'm doing, right? I am, I'm a doctor. Yeah, I'm a primary care physician. I believe greatly in um, bringing primary care to everybody, bringing great primary care to everybody. Um, and early in my career, I was an engineer, um, studied informatics, you know, was one of the early CMIOs, and you know, I've always thought that you know, healthcare um, really could use some aspect of engineering and information technology to help both improve efficiency uh, and scale as well as quality. Uh, mm -hmm. And really, that's constant themes throughout my career is you know, how do you make it easy to do the right thing? Um, and uh, a lot of that is, I, I call it um, my sad philosophy for making doctors happy and patients healthy. And that's how do you simplify, automate, and delegate as much of the routine, repeatable work as possible. Uh, and as part of that over the years, you know, I brought in a lot of technology, but also processes um, and innovative thinking, um, which you know, was a, a variety of ways to just say, how can we do this in, more, in a more automated way? Um, because it doesn't make sense to bring the patient in to see the doctor for 15 plus minutes for every little thing that they have. Um, how do we delegate some of that work? Um, and then, you know, over the past, actually most of my career, how do we virtualize some of it? In the 1990s, I was doing email with patients. I was you know, called one of the e-doctors early on. Uh, 
Um, and over the years, I you know, took on more responsibilities for telehealth, whether that was secure messaging, um, you know, phone-based care or you know, uh, video-based care. Uh, and so I always felt it was an important part of the armaturing that we have as, as doctors. I mean, we've been doing phone-based care for 100 years, not mm-hmm. new, um, but the bottom line is you have to figure out how to align the incentives around it and make it, again, easy and integrated in with everything else we do. So that's a little background. Um, what happened over the past couple of years, you know, I, I focused more on the innovation side. With I rolled out a couple of electronic medical records mm-hmm. um, at Northwestern, about Cerner and Epic, uh, and I took on more innovation responsibility, and that included you know, everything from telehealth to value-based care and population health to the physician experience, the patient digital experience, et cetera. Um, but telehealth is always a constant theme in what we did um, because it did help to improve access to care and also allowed us to start figuring out how we can use it to, to scale the few doctors that we had in, in the sense of Another common theme of my career has been um, that we don't just have we don't have a shortage of physicians. We just have a shortage of using them efficiently. And again, automating and virtualizing them uh, is was the way to achieve um, a, 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 an appropriate use of all the physicians we have in this country. So well, a little over a year you. ago, um, I was approached by MD Live um, to come on board uh, as basically the Chief Medical Officer and EVP of Product Strategy, so overseeing both operations and product. And I looked at that and just saw this big growing area and this big growing group and the ability to make some impact at scale. Uh, And so I jumped in. And uh, I'll I'll stop there and let you ask me about the question. Yeah, well, so, you know, I'd like to go back just briefly. You, You were saying that you were doing telemedicine at Northwestern. Tell me a little bit about what but put some definition around that. Were you doing live video visits? Were you doing store and forward? I mean, what what did that look like at Northwestern, what you were involved in? Yeah, so it meant a couple of things. One um, was certainly just secure messaging. You could call it store and forward, but the bottom line is, you know, we, you know, we were one of the earliest groups um, to do secure messaging. Um, back about 2006, we went live with a company called Relay Health, uh, which mm-hmm. was doing just secure messaging. We integrated it with our Cerner EMR, and the result was, you know, we very quickly started getting people signing up um, because email, of course, just wasn't secure, wasn't it wasn't embedded in the system. Um, but we used Relay Health to to embed it in the system, and it started getting very popular very quickly. And and we very quickly had, you know, probably 50, 60, 70 percent of our patients signing up. Uh, we're in Chicago. We're the largest primary care group in Chicago. We had um, a you know a relatively you know, young hip urban mm-hmm. um, population and they so loved they it. were hungry for that I'm sure right they, they were very hungry and, and yeah. to them it was just great it was, it was things for hey what should I do about this follow up and then we started doing these online visits where people would fill out a form uh, and we would and they would they would put up a credit card we would charge them for a visit uh, and we would reply with an answer and if we needed to we might call them up at the same time, we said, well, if we're charging for these secure message store and forward visits, we really should charge for phone visits. We're sort of silly that we're giving away phone visits just because you happen to call after hours or the weekend. Uh, and so we simply said, we'll do phone visits, but it will, we'll charge you like $45. Uh, and the result was um, we actually saw phone visits go down, um, but 
office visits go up. So it, it oh. was a result that uh, in, in many cases it was desirable, um, but it wasn't the wasn't how we scale healthcare. Um, and but it did give us a way to be compensated for the work that we did outside of office uh, work, and it did also bring a higher level of scrutiny and quality to saying if I'm going to do a um, asynchronous visit or a phone-based visit, it needs to be documented well, um, and we need mm-hmm. to be accountable for it. And so those things were good. Well, so and is now, that that was and that ahead. was a long time ago. Right? That was oh, okay. 2006, you know. And so we continued yeah. doing those things. And then over the past couple of years, we said, well, um, what more can we do? And I moved from the just the primary care group to be to have a system level job about three years ago. So the director of innovation for the whole Northwestern medicine system, um, which had now grown to be, you know, a couple, you know, at that point, I think about five or six hospitals, um, you know, 2000 employed physicians. And it, we started, you know, looking at, you know, the sleep lab or post-surgery, um, you know, as well as primary care and found a lot of different scenarios where it made sense. Um, the truth is a lot of it was still phone-based care. Um, you know, we, um, you know, started doing some imaging with the dermatology, right? You got to, you know, send in an image so that they can review it. And we really started test piloting lots of cases. We could not get over the hump, however, of doing broad primary care online simply because the reimbursement mechanism wasn't there. We knew how to do it. We knew it could be successful, but we just didn't see it as a, a, a great, um, well-aligned incentive to do it because our doctors could not, could not get paid significant amounts to do it. Um, our patients didn't want to pay too much to do it. Um, and so like a lot of these things, it was um, the slowdown was based on reimbursement rather than anything else. So sense. what we did was focus on lots of pilots in specialty and primary care to get our you know, muscle um, understanding of how to do it well. Well, and let's talk about the specialties for a second, because what are you finding that because I mean, you've mentioned a number of different, I mean, derm consults and primary care. and But these days, what do you find are the specialties that are getting traction um, with telehealth visits? I read something recently in Health Affairs that said radiology, psychiatry, and cardiology were, these, were the leading specialties. And I, that surprised me for some reason, but I don't know, maybe it shouldn't have. Who, who are you finding are using it, you know, as you've watched the evolution of things and experienced it yourself, who is using it these days? Specialty wise, or you know, well, you know, radiology is old school, I and mean, they've been a great job for years because they were able to figure out how to uh, a radiologist could be sitting anywhere and just read a film. You know, it did not have to be synchronous. Um, you know, it could be soaring forward, um, and they didn't have to talk to anybody. It was it was simply imaging, and so a number of companies um, grew in that space, and it made a lot of sense. And it was a, a classic example of a, a appropriate arbitrage of physicians. So you could have a physician living in Australia and who's mm-hmm. able to do readings for you know, half of America um, overnight. But not really what we think about telehealth when we talk about like the doctor patient relationship. So psychiatry is definitely a top area. Envy Live does psychiatry and therapy. Um, I mean, it's a classic you know, underserved area, right? Where you just, um, you, know, you don't have an, a good distribution. So if you're in a small town somewhere, you know, the chance that you can, you'll have a therapist or psychiatrist is just very small because they need a much bigger population. And additionally, it's sort of awkward if you're in a small town and there's like one therapist and everyone knows who it is. Um, 
Uh, and but even in urban areas, we see major deficits um, um, due to um, a variety of geographical or other access issues. Um, a hot area or inpatient um, evaluation, um, emergency room evaluation, prisons okay. um, is a hot area um, for oh. psychiatry. Right, so much disease there. And then just the day to day, and we you know we see and you know, just take care of routine therapy and psychiatry across the nation. Um, there's almost always a bigger demand than there is supply. And so this helps to um, take care of at least the geographical and other similar access issues that, that we see. Well, so why don't you tell us a little bit about then how it works with MD Live? So if you're seeing, you know, in all these different hot areas, uh, is it because many of our listeners are in independent practice. I mean, we do have, obviously, we have listeners out there that are also employed by hospitals and health systems. But what I'm trying to get my arms around is who out there is really doing this? And do they purchase a service, uh, like a platform like an MD Live? Is there software? Or is it MD Live physicians that, you know, and what happens overnight? Like, how do you do call? Maybe you can just enlighten me about how it works with MD Live and in maybe in general too, how practices are using telehealth out there in current yeah, state. So let's so give you some perspective, right? And I you know, practice in a, you know, a group that started at 12 people and with several hundred primary care doctors um, and then became part of you know, multi, a couple thousand multi-specialty groups. So I get, right. I get all sides of it. Um, right. For MD Live, essentially considered as a, a large online medical group. We have over 1,200 providers um, taking care of the nation 24 by 7, 365 days a year, 50 states. Um, any person in America can pick up the phone, you know, website, click a button and have a doctor calling them back or doing a video visit with them within 10 minutes usually um, or less. Uh, and as a result, you know, the plans, the folks who are the most risk and you know, have the most interest. So we work a lot with health plans. They hire us to take care of their population. We currently actually have about 30 million um, um, people you know, who have, are covered in some way by their health plans. Um, you know, the, making sure they're all aware of that is a separate issue. But in general, um, that means that you know, they can reach out to us at any time, any place, uh, and we cover Right now, urgent care, um, a little chronic care, um, and then we, you know, with our, and we have doctors who are internists, or, um, emergency room doctors, family practice, and pediatricians. Okay. Separate from that, we have a behavioral health group that has um, psychiatrists and therapists, and then we also work with an derm uh, online dermatology group for more severe dermatology type of problems. And the, le the, the for first one, the urgent care, is really on demand, where you can set up an appointment. Uh, yeah, an hour, a couple hours ahead of time. The second group, the therapists and psychiatrists, that's usually scheduled, you know, once a week or every couple of week visit. And the third group, the dermatologists are you know, doing more asynchronous, storm forward um, mm -hmm. for more severe type of issues. Um, and we are bringing um, our own asynchronous, storm forward type of technology into our urgent care group as well um, for folks who don't want to or don't have time to do either a phone or video visit and have a more um, routine problem that uh, based on a series of interview questions using expert system branch logic, uh, we can determine are appropriate for, um, uh, for just a asynchronous care. You know, the result is you know, we're taking care of thousands of patients a day. Um, we do work with some health systems um, to either 
provide them the software so that they can uh, have their doctors help take care of their patients, or a lot of times they'll outsource some of that to us. So our doctors will help manage their patients uh, either you know, during the day when they're just too busy or certainly overnight, weekends, et cetera. Mm-hmm. For the smaller doctor practice, um, yeah, the scenarios are either, hey, join MD Live, join the medical group. A number of our doctors might have their own practice but want to be online as well. Gives them an extra source of, of income. Although it makes the most sense if you have multiple licenses or at least have licenses in some of the very large states, California, Florida, Texas, of course, um, you know, are some of the bigger states where it makes sense if you have a license there you'll have more activity. Um, although the majority of our doctors, you know, our busiest doctors are working 20 plus hours a week online. Okay. Um, so it's a, a commitment in many ways, but for some smaller practices, just maybe something extra to do on the weekends, um, you know, just to make a little extra money and learn about this new form of care really as it, as it becomes increasingly um, important and popular among the population. Vice versa, if you're part of a larger group, that may work with us, maybe you look at us as a um, group that can help manage a variety of your patients who have milder routine issues and don't necessarily need to come into the office. And instead of losing them to the retail clinics or the urgent care center down the block, you'd lose them to a partner, so to speak, who would help manage them on behalf of you, send you anything that happened, um, and let you see the higher complexity higher RVU type of patients who deserve to be in the office um, and don't need to be, um, you know, aren't really eligible for, for virtual online care. Well, and so it's interesting that you, you went to that because I took some notes as I was listening to you and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so is MD Live with this virtual online care, is this a competitor of local practices or how is this going to work? But I was going to ask is maybe what's happening is that it, some patients who don't really need to come into the office necessarily can be seen by MD Live. And then does that mean more complex or more in, interesting to the physician? I would imagine, you know, more, uh, the, the higher level patients, the patients who really do need to get seen, um, those are the ones that still go into the office. I mean, tell me a little bit about how um, MD Live would partner with a local boots on the ground, um, you know, physician group. Yeah, so it, it makes sense in a couple of different ways. And first, you know, if the medical group that we're working with, you know, particularly you know, larger health systems, are at risk for any population, uh, whether okay. that's right, employees you, or capitated, yep. um, then we become a really good partner to help mm-hmm. decrease that risk. We know, we, you know we've had studies, uh, one of our larger payers did, of um, 20,000 patients uh, who used our, our system, 20,000 maxed. Uh, controls who didn't. And what they found was uh, in the folks who use uh, MD Live, uh, a 17% decreased cost of total care, 36% decreased ER visits. It actually worked. And yeah. 97% um, first case closure rate, meaning that you know, only about 3% of the patients who called us wound up having to go into um, uh, an office and get seen mm-hmm. um, afterwards, which is Compared to most of us, most in the even in an office-based setting, three to five percent is pretty normal. So we actually accomplish exactly what we said we'd do, and we uh, we keep people from going into the emergency room or urgent care when they really just have a mild problem. We just provide really good access. 
Uh, and so if you're at risk for that level of care, like we're your best friends. That's why the health plans love us. And that's why health systems who are at risk, it's the first place to focus yep. because we can provide immediate ROI. So the let's... second group okay. yep. that I want to point out is what if you're not at risk? One of it's mainly fee-for-service. Does this make sense? Um, is it competitive? Uh, and I, I'd suggest that the first thing you should do is look at um, your metrics um, and look at your numbers because most likely the vast majority of your, your care has become increasingly complex over the past 10 years. 10, 15 years ago, maybe a quarter or more of your patients were these mild routine issues, a mm-hmm. sinus infection, UTI, mild sprain, et cetera. And they would come to see you and it would fill up your office space. But because urgent care and retail clinics have made it so much easier to just go and see them um, and you're booked up in your office, what we've seen is a lot of these doctors are, have lost out already. That if you take a look at what percent of your patients on a day-to-day basis are coming in for these mild routine things, it's probably decreased a lot. In fact, I checked when I was at Northwestern and we saw a decrease from about 25% um, to you know under 8%. And, and that was um, a couple of years ago. And my hunch is even less now because we've lost them to the other more accessible places like urgent care. So from that perspective, you've lost already. We're not competing with you. Now we're trying to be your partner. And by the way, every day you might say, I'm willing, I'll take whoever calls me, but they're not even calling you anymore because it's so much easier to go down the street. Mm-hmm. We're just making it even easier for them to get taken care of. Why they don't do even have to leave the house. That way then <laughs> right. you're, part of, yeah, you're part of the solution and you're, and you're making your patients feel like it's all part of one system. Yeah. And at the same time, it opens up your space because even if you are seeing them, maybe you should give those up because you're probably going to lose them eventually. Um, and if you give up those level three minor things, it can give you that much more time to see the more complex things to expand your patient panel um, to see the, the higher complexity, higher RVU type of visits, which both are more appropriate um, and which often have higher revenue and are often more interesting, right? I mean, you probably didn't go to med school, um, you know, just to take care of you know, minor you know, sinus infections, you should be taking care of the really complex things in the office You know, let groups like us who are specially trained uh, and focus on these minor issues to do it in a highly efficient, scalable way, in a high quality way. Um, you know, it makes it easier because then we start dividing and conquering this, this, this population's true population health. And, and what would be an analogy we've given a lot, we've talked about a lot of primary care examples. Um, what would be an analogy for surgery? Um, you know, keeping it, what, what about post-op care? Are, is MD Live doing much in that area, or do you see telehealth um, visits and televisits being used for that? So the patient, especially, I think about orthopedics, right, where the patient's already not very ambulatory, or they've got crutches, or whatever, postoperatively. Is this a solution to keep patients make sure they're on track, but not necessarily bring them in? Unless there's an issue. Right. Exactly. So, so in, it, it's, that goes back to sort of that early at risk. So ob surgical procedures, anything like that, where it's a bundled global payment. Mm-hmm. Um, telehealth virtual care makes a ton of sense um, because you know, you're not getting paid extra for every visit. Um, and you can actually make it hyper efficient and higher quality at the same time. So, um, you know, post-op is a good example, as, as you know, Cheryl, you know, the, 
that whole area of why don't we just ask the patient a couple of questions afterwards and let them do either an asynchronous visit and or maybe a video visit. A lot of surgeons, for them to be able to go on, do a quick one-minute video visit you know, with the patient um, and look at that wound, look at that patient's face, make sure they're doing okay, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and gosh, it's so much. Can you imagine making this, this post-op patient come into the, your office for a one-minute wound check? It just is not, doesn't make sense. Um, it's a waste of their time, um, you know, waste of the doctor's time, and the incentives aren't even there for the doctor. To, to, um, uh, so it actually makes sense for them to do this in an automated and virtual way. Our software is, can be used by health systems to um, to do that. We are rolling out the uh, an uh, a expert engine that lets the system create an intelligent interview. So if it's post-op, it may ask a few questions. Um, and part of the pre-appointment information. So by the time you do the appointment, whether it's you know, phone, maybe with some pictures or a video visit, mm-hmm. you've also documented some of the information. And so it can be hyper convenient for both the patient and the physician, but you still get you know, that the patient physicians are connecting with each other. Maybe sometimes that's asynchronous, maybe that's a phone or video. Um, you know, the idea is we provide the infrastructure for health systems and groups to use to um, to facilitate that. Well, in those cases, we're you, we're not providing surgeons to do that type of stuff. You know, we might have at some point care coordinators, or we can have an internist who could follow up with the patient. Um, but in in the case where it's super specialty, we're much more likely to provide the software and the the infrastructure, not the doctors. So that means that a. Uh, uh I'll go with my orthopedic example. We've got an eight orthopedic um, surgeon group. They could, they could license the software. They could pay a subscription, something like that. They could use the platform and deliver the care themselves. Is that what you're saying? The MD Live platform? Correct. Yeah, okay. You know, our, we That's usually work with larger entities, but, uh-huh. you know, um, yeah, in a lot of these, so a lot of the smaller groups we work with, you know, we're working with a much larger entity that is um, sort of their business manager. Um, or some network type of a, a, a TPA or something um, that it's uh, able to provide to them as part of that larger relationship. And really what I hear you saying is that this is, a lot of this is really the direction to go as everyone starts to assume more risk, whether it's a bundled payment or population health or, you know, big risk contracts. Um, however, CMS just, you know, it's January, right? So they, they, the new virtual visit codes are in place. They've changed some of the chronic care management codes to uh, make it easier to bill for those. And, and there are telehealth visit codes. So is it, do you find that it's worth it to practices that can bill fee-for-service for some of these things? Or, or could it be, is there a business case here? Or does that really show up more the more the health system or the practice takes on risk of some kind? Um, or is it so both? Even if, so in a fee-for-service world, if uh-huh. your payers are paying, and as much as CMS and others have talked about creating codes, um, creating codes and actually paying for it are two separate things. Um, and so even with parity laws, that's only, you know, if they're paying for telehealth, that mm-hmm. you know, they would, uh, you'd be able to get the benefit. So, and it's not in all states, right? The parity laws are, and it's not nearly as simple as you think of, oh, okay. they'll pay that parity laws do not necessarily mean they'll pay the same rate for a virtual visit or televisit as they will for an onsite visit. That's a bit of a misnomer. Okay. Um, and 
if you can get that, you know, that's fantastic. And you, know, you certainly might have a good business there um, if, if payers are going to pay you the same amount. But the truth is, uh, if they pay and often they don't, they're going to pay significantly less. So the only way it would make sense is if you could truly do it in a hyper-efficient way um, to uh, allow you to you know, make it up in volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the bottom line is, if you want to go down that road, you really need to commit. You're not going to sort of just say, oh, well, I'm, I'll do two or three a day and that'll be enough. I mean, it's something where you really need to block off a couple hours a day um, and really commit and get your group up to it. Um, so I think we'll see some practices who do that uh, yeah, in the primary care field. And um, they you know, might hire a nurse practitioner. They might designate one doctor in their group to be the sort of virtual care guy. It's less likely that everybody will wind up doing a little primary care. What we found is, you know, certain people are just really good at it. It's similar in many ways to the hospitalist movement of the 90s. Okay. Yeah. Used to be everybody would take care of their patients in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And then hospitalists started doing it and they just became efficient at it. Um, And it was easier for the primary care doctor who was getting busier to just say, you know what, instead of me trying to be at the hospital to see one patient, you know, once a day, let's just um, have a a small number of people do, do all that. And then I can spend more time in my office. And I think we're going to see a very analogous rise of the virtualists um, as doctors who really dedicate majority of their time and their career to doing virtual care. Um, and the doctors in the office will still be plenty busy, um, but they'll be seeing you know, more complex things in the office. Uh, and But they'll be able to focus on the patients in the office, may or may not have virtual care as a component of what they do. Um, perhaps everyone will at some point um, if, it, if the incentives and compensation come around. But it, um, most doctors, when we talk to them, find that it's just so discontinuous to go from an, uh, an office visit to a virtual visit and back and forth that um, they usually just want to stick with what they know in the office. And they're willing to um, uh, partner with others to do some of that virtual care. Others, of course, who want to try and do it all, but same thing with the hospitalists. Over time, they found that it just wasn't worth it. Uh, and in fact, the hospitalists, similar virtualists, got really good at doing that type of care. Um, and not only were more efficient, but actually um, provided higher quality care. Yeah. But the important thing is, ideally, how do you maintain some level of synergy so you're kept in the loop about it? Well, and so let's, you've, you've, what you've hit on a couple different things here in terms of success factors. If practices are thinking about this or if they're in the health system that's moving toward this or, or starting to offer it. You've talked about how to be successful doing this, you have to really commit to it. You can't just go back and forth. That's why I think you're saying this, this role of a virtualist like the hospitalist might be the way for some, some practices to go. Tell me a little bit. So we've, we've talked about commit to it, have a certain chunk of time. What are some of the other success factors for those listeners thinking about moving toward telehealth that they need to consider so that it's worthwhile and, and they can succeed? What are the things must they do? Well, I think I, I, I call the three M's, and this is when I talk to physicians. There's three M's that are important for physician sort of successful adoption here. One is the metrics I mentioned before. Look at the numbers. You know, how many of these visits are you doing today in your office? How many do you think you're losing and that you're leaking out? And what the, what's the volume? And the truth is, if you're a primary care doctor, there's probably at least a couple of patients a day who would love to have this option. Mm-hmm. You might even be able to charge them, you know, uh, 40 or $50 because it's so convenient for them 
um, and it saved them time and money, and they would have had to pay a copay other way, otherwise. Um, but look at the metrics. You know, look at you know what percent of your typical day-to-day visits um, still are doing this, these minor things. You'll probably find you've lost most of them anyway. Okay. Uh, second is you know motivation. You know, is this something you want to do? When we talk to our doctors, why they got into virtual care, what they like about it, what we hear is a combination of flexibility because often you know when they're doing it full time, they can work from home. Right. Um, and they also talk about um, their love of just the visit because it's a visit where there's a lot of appreciation. Patients are truly like, you know, it's something doc, primary care doctors have, have used to have a lot more of, but now you know, we, we see it in virtual care a lot is, boy, the patients are happy. They're just like, wow, you're just a lifesaver, right? I, there's, I had no time to go in and see a doctor. Um, I'm about to go traveling. Um, you know, I don't have a doctor. This is like you know, science fiction. And they love that our doctors can take care of them. Um, in that way, and that motivates them to, to work um, harder. So there's a high patient satisfaction. There's a high patient satisfaction then with, with these visits. Yeah, I that. we have a yes rating of, of 80, you know, uh, yeah. in the past mm-hmm. month. The patients are super happy um, and, you know, because they, you know, it's everything that they get in every other, just like every other industry. Um, you know, we've seen in commerce and banking and travel, um, they want things online. Yeah. Uh, and then third M is money. It's like, does this make financial sense for you? Um, and you have to look at, you know, do you, you know, is doing, does doing this, but decreasing the ER and urgent care visits, do you, are you, are you in some way incentivized where that benefits you? Or are you incentivized because you can make money off of each visit um, in a way that makes sense economically? Or are you incentivized for other quality or satisfaction or just loyalty um, type of, of ways? And does it make sense for you to do it, your NP, et cetera? Um, so you got to really you think about from a, a both sort of an emotional um, uh, workflow and financial perspectives to understand if it makes sense. And if you're going to commit to it, you got to build it into your operations. Uh, so day to day, if someone's calling your office, you know, it becomes, hey, you know, do you want to do a virtual visit? Uh, here's where you can do it with the doctor and or um, you can do it with a partner. And, but recognize that many patients view this for routine type care, they view that as a bit of a commodity in the sense that they don't necessarily feel they need to talk to their doctor for it because they know what's going on. A UPMC uh, report a couple of years ago showed when they offered patients the option of doing an online visit mm-hmm. with their doctor who will get back to you within 24 hours or any doctor at UPMC within half an hour and 95% shows the latter Yeah, because they felt this was easy and convenient, but they also felt, I don't want to bother my doctor with this minor issue. He's, he's a special smart guy. I'm going to wait till I have something really major before I go in and bother him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you, so you'd have to build, you'd have to build all of this. I, I love the three M's. So metrics, motivation, money, and that home money piece of it, you know, we, like to think we're giving practical tips here on sound practice. So really thinking through the workflow issues, the staff scripting, the training of the staff, because this is all, it's, it's just a whole new way to think about how you offer an appointment. Cause it used to be, you just offer an appointment, but now there's a couple different versions of appointments sounds uh, obviously. So um, that would be yeah. important. And, and right now, well, yeah, get your muscle you know, memory going because it's urgent care today, but it's going to be primary care you know, in the not too distant future and people, 
40% of Americans don't have a primary care doctor, um, and, um, and nor do they have easy access to get one. And by the way, the 60% who have a primary care doctor, most of those don't get all the care they need mm-hmm. by their primary care doctor. And, you know, there's a smaller and smaller number who have that classic Marcus Welby, great close relationship, which is especially as the concierge practices are building. We, in many ways, I consider what we do is offer concierge to the masses, right? 24 mm-hmm. by 7, we yep. can take care of your needs. Available and anytime, yeah. right on my iPhone. Available anytime, and yeah. and but a lot, but a, a lot more affordable way. Um, again, going back to, we don't have a shortage of doctors; we have a shortage of using them efficiently. Right. I I can see us moving into more primary care, um, doing um, you know preventive care and chronic care visits, and really being the main first point of contact. So the office visit becomes secondary care. Or um, Tom Lee published an article. Um, in the past year, he called, you know, basically the office visit is plan B um, mm-hmm. you know, for when the initial things can't get taken care of online. I mean, it's just like, again, online banking and online travel agencies and online commerce. You know, we do all the basics that way, routine things that way. But if we really need to see someone, we'll still go in. Um, yeah, well, but it's just becoming smaller and smaller percent of what we really need. Yeah, and I'm even thinking, like, you know, just uh, what's popping into my head is that this is how, uh, in the past, you know, everyone in business had to have a meeting, and you met it live around a table. But Mm -hmm. nowadays, Mm -hmm. we might take the first line as, well, can we do this over a phone call? You know, could we have a phone call about this? Nobody has to drive across town, you know, and meet and take take time out and take a room. So it's this first line, like you're saying, what could be done virtually versus having to actually go in face-to-face and take time off work. I think, I think that really cannot be um, understated is this idea that not just for people who live in a rural area, but anybody who's a you know, working parent and they can't afford to take time off. Um, they have to get their kids to school early so they can't take the early appointments. So um, having this available to them is just a huge, uh, it's, it's, it gives them access that's so much easier and more convenient than going into the office? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've done, I still do visits online with patients and I've got patients who are, you know, I saw someone who, you know, took care of her and I said, you know, what, you know, do you have a primary care doctor? I do. He's great. Um, I said, I'm just curious, why did you decide to see us today? And she said, well, he's like an hour away and, and yeah, mm-hmm. I work. I, I, yeah, and I don't have time. Yeah, I don't have time to take off like two, three hours to go see him for a minor issue. I'll see him once a year for my checkup or something yep. was really serious, but it just doesn't make sense for me. We, we now ask our patients as part of their post-visit survey, how much time did you save um, by using the service? And 80% of them say they, say they saved at least an hour. 50% save over two hours of time. Um, Regents did a study that showed that the typical patient by using you know, uh, a virtual, our, our virtual care services would save at least $100 between lost time, gas money, et cetera. Um, it's actually, again, a lot of our patients say, why was I going to the office for this in the past? Yeah. Yeah. Well, One, it's, it's your only it's a option. chunk of my time. Two, it's a bunch of sick people. I don't want to yeah. sit around in a room, <laughs> a waiting room with a bunch of sick people. Exactly. I'll, I'll get me more sick. Right. Um, right. And well, so to that, it's like, wow, I, I can't believe this is available. I'm, this is their new, their new reality. Yep. Yep. Well, as they say, the times they are changing, right, Dr. Lyle? So this was <laughs> fast. I mean, you gave us, a, I mean, this is a lot of, a lot of things are going to be happening over the next couple of years as we move in this direction. And I really appreciate your time today. Why don't you leave us with uh, oh, a couple 
two, two pieces of advice that you have for our listeners out there who are thinking about this and moving, uh, you know, moving toward it or deciding to just um, maybe partner? What, what advice do you have? Hey, well, listen, the, you know, telemedicine, online medicine, telehealth, you know, it all falls into sort of this general category of, of you know, doing things outside the office. Uh, we call it online care now. Um, just like there's online banking and online you know, travel, online care, it's just an extension of what we do. Um, and whether you, if you're going to do it yourself, I mean, definitely make sure you're committed to it. Uh, otherwise, find a good partner to do it with you. Um, this is, in some ways, we look at things like Blockbuster versus Netflix. And if you are a big organization spending lots of money on office-based facilities because you believe that everybody still wants to come in and see the doctor face-to-face and experience that, then you are Blockbuster. Um, that's exactly the philosophy they had. Um, and Netflix came along and realized the problem we're solving is not um, how do we create enough spaces for people to come visit? The problem we're solving, you know, is how do we deliver and give you media in as quick way as possible? In the same way, our philosophy is the problem we're solving is not how do we simulate an office visit um, simply by um, connecting someone by video or even phone, but the problem we're solving is how do we take care of a medical issue in as convenient, fast, hyper-efficient, high-quality, cost-effective way as possible. Um, and that means, for example, that while we do video, a lot of patients actually prefer phone, and now we're rolling out asynchronous options so that they can securely you know, fill out some forms, message the doctor, and get a result back. Um, and you know, work with you know, where we've rolled out an AI chatbot to help with registration and get people involved who soon be doing the interviewing of patients. That our goal is how do we scale healthcare, mm-hmm. right? And the one one of the ways to solve it is say a vast majority of healthcare is routine, repeatable stuff that can and should be automated and virtualized. Um, and then the offices, however, unlike Blockbuster, the offices are not going out of business. However, there are certainly going to be less urgent care offices in the future, um, and there are going to be primary care doctors will probably be seen in their offices, more and more complex type of patients. So if you love that, you know, you're, you know that's going to be coming. If you prefer um, the um, ur- more urgent care, lighter weight stuff, consider how much more of your life you want to move into virtual care. Um, but in the end, I mean, understand that this is happening that some studies out of uh, University of Rochester uh, had a good study showed by the year 2025, there'll be more online visits than office-based visits. Mm-hmm. And not only will there be more, office visits will be going down. More and more people will be going online, just like every other industry. So in yep, the end, I believe it. this is happening. This is You'll happening. have to decide, Yeah, do you want it to be done with you or to you? Or to you. Because um, yep. like a lot of changes, um, you know, that, that's your choice. And this is an amazing time to watch that that uh, disruption happening in healthcare. Great. I, Dr. Lyle, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. This is really fascinating stuff. And I think in, you've given, I, I know me, I really have a different perspective now on how I was thinking about telehealth. So thank you for that. And you are drlyle.com for your brand and mdlive.com <laughs> is where people can go to learn more about um, partnering or the company in general. So thank you very much. You bet. Thank you.
manage a healthcare practice, you're probably familiar with office drama. You know what I mean. The turf war between the billing manager and the front desk staff, the coder who hoards work to make herself look busy and important, or the nurse practitioner whose patients adore her but who acts like a queen bee with colleagues. If any of this sounds familiar, help is available on the next episode of Sound Practice. Our guest will be author, executive educator, and consultant Marlene Chisholm. Marlene will provide practical strategies for how to elevate your leadership, implement strategic communication, and eliminate time-wasting drama. Join us for a lively conversation with Marlene Chisholm. Sound Practice is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Simplify, automate, and delegate. I like how Dr. Lyle distilled his philosophy into SAD in order to make patients happy. Hmm? There's irony for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's certainly done a lot of work to make physicians more productive and to deliver better care. His statement about not having a shortage of physicians, but a shortage of ways uh, to use them efficiently seems very true and accurate to me, Dothy. I thought that was a great insight. Yeah, I I agree. And I I enjoyed listening to him talk about um, all the innovations in his group over the years and thinking about the fact that his group was already using secure messaging in 2006 and his point that physicians and practice leaders can't be afraid to try new things and then pivot if they don't work perfectly. I mean, you just got to keep trying to pilot things like, like that, like his group did. You, you always learn from the experience and that's kind of my philosophy on life. If you aren't failing, you aren't learning. Ooh, well said, my friend. I like that philosophy. All right. With that, we've come to the end of this episode of sound practice. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please tell your colleagues. We'd really appreciate it if you would rate us or review us on Apple Podcast or Google Play. Yes, we would. We would. We would. If you'd like to give us feedback directly or make a suggestion about the podcast, just email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Please join us for our next episode. Don't forget, we release one every other Wednesday with the occasional bonus episode throughout the month. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com.